Muddy Waters Clear Vision. Welcome to Muddy Waters Clear Vision, the podcast that dives deep into the journeys of Louisiana's most successful entrepreneurs. We'll traverse their humble beginnings, celebrate the coaches and leaders who guided them, and explore their unique leadership styles. Together, we'll uncover the muddiest moments of their career, the challenges that turned into blessings, the obstacles that transformed into stepping stones. Our guests will pass on their hard-earned lessons to the next generation of entrepreneurs and discuss the enduring impact they aim to make. As we navigate the waters of their past, we'll also glimpse into their future. Where are they heading next? So join us as we chart the path from muddy waters to a clear vision. So today we're with Justin Obney. So Justin, tell us a little bit, who are you? What is it that you're currently doing? And then we'll jump into where, where you, where you came from. Okay. Um, local. I grew up in Denham, lived in Denham and Baton Rouge my whole life. I'm currently kind of in two main areas. I'm the CTO of Paystar. We're a payment processing company in Baton Rouge, but Ultimately, we look to simplify integrated payments for municipalities, governments, et cetera. And so we're in, uh, I think, like over 30 states, and that's just the current uh, primary day job rocket ship that I'm on. And then I'm also a co-founder of Elevator 3, where my buddy Brandon Cornette runs the ship over there. And so um, that also has just been kind of on a run. We've been growing. We've been, I don't know, six or seven years that we kind of started at. And then in the past three, we've really kind of had a lot going on there. And that's a consulting shop here in Baton Rouge. And we do mobile apps for startups, custom software for enterprises, uh, just pretty much custom software. And we try to have that white glove experience with Mm -hmm. that. And so that's more of a advisory consulting role over there with my main focus being at, at Paystar and really what we have going on. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So tell us a little bit. Okay. So you said Denim Springs. So tell us a little bit about the early life. And, uh, and I'm really kind of curious if from that early life, who are those people that inspired you on your journey of entrepreneurship? So this is, this is interesting because I don't think I would have thought about it this way until really thinking about the questions for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, in kind of prep, it really did kind of highlight some of those answers. And I think that like, for one, my mom has just always been there, you know, it was me and her in the beginning, she's super smart, always kind of ran businesses in a management perspective her whole life. And uh, that that's a big component, definitely. And my dad, I didn't realize it, like I said, when I was younger, but so he was a painter and he is subcontracted out here. And so he always ran crews and I would work with him over the summer. And I'm pretty sure that was probably his plan for me to hate painting over the summer in Louisiana. If you can imagine, you know, hundred to date, hundred degree heat on a ladder. Convince you to think differently. About oh, work, huh? you know what? I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was what was happening there. Uh, yeah. and, and so there was an aspect too, cause we would ride between the different job sites. And so sure I'd have to do that, but also I would also ride with him. And looking back, I kind of look back and I go, Oh man, I bet that was a, an aspect of freedom that I wouldn't have thought about, you know, versus being someone that was just on the job site doing the work. And so I think that probably played into it a good bit. And then 
we, you know, we grew up, we didn't lack anything, but looking back, I can definitely see, I was like, oh man, I bet that was really tough. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just na- uh, apartments, trailer parks, et cetera. And then about right about high school, maybe, maybe junior high, we bought this trailer in a trailer park. Fast forward to high school. My parents got like a foreclosed house and a piece of property and they kind of rented that, that mobile home first. And so that kind of kicked off my dad buying, I don't know, he has eight or 10 or 12 pieces of, some, you know, he has a number of properties and that became effectively his retirement from painting. And so, you know, over the summers, I would work with him on some of the rental property. And uh, I think that probably played a lot into it as well. And then when I was also thinking, I remembered burning CDs in high school Mm -hmm. and again, not realizing it at the time. But well, so this is, we were one of the, we had a cable internet because before, prior to cable internet, it took forever to download yeah, a song. Uh, forever. And we had a CD burner. I'll download it, go to school oh, and then I'll come back oh, and it'll be ready. Totally, totally <laughs> the case. And so we had that and we got it, we got a computer. And then I remember there was probably about a year until like, you know, everybody had the same thing that I would go to school and I'd come back with like a piece of paper of all, everybody's songs, basically their mixtape. And I'd be like, if I like you for uh, the CD. And I think the CDs cost like a dollar or something. So somebody's listening right now. They're like, dude, he charged me $10. I know, right? And then somebody's like, yeah, he charged me five. He must have liked me. (laughs) I mean, you know, I didn't really think about that prior to saying it, but probably so. (laughs) There we go. But that that was kind of, you know, the early childhood. So what were your takeaways from your parents? Because obviously they were hardworking. I mean, I think that was the biggest thing. Like... So my, my brother, my little brother, he actually became a dad, senior high school. Mm. And he had played football since he was four. And so he had been in football his whole life. That happened. And he still went to college, finished in four years. And I think more than anything, like the biggest thing takeaway from my parents is at the end of the day, you're going to put one foot in front of the other. And it really doesn't matter what the outcome is, because like there's no other option than like progressing. And so I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. It could, my dad hated painting. And I think like, he, you know, he went to work every day and did that thing he hated because at the end of the day, what you going to do? You mm-hmm. got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that was my biggest takeaway from them was just do the work. From like a duty standpoint? From a what's, what other option is there? Mm. Like, like you got to do the work mm-hmm. no matter what it is. And that's an interesting thing that I've come to see here more recently at life is even at all the different levels. Like if you're hustling, like you're doing the work, it just looks different. And my, he, my, he said something to me one time. He said, if I would have ever stopped and looked at the math, we wouldn't have had any of that property because on paper, none of it made sense. Mm-hmm. And he said, but we just kept finding the ones that we could get occupied and that it would make enough sense. And we would just keep going. Yeah. And, the long you know, game. Exactly. And, you know, and, and that was my biggest takeaway. Um, and then I think one of the things that sticks in my head from my mom the most was she would say, if you walk into a room and act like you own it, most people believe you do. And so that was an interesting takeaway as well. Of like, you know, you can kind of set the tone for your perception. Mm. And that, that How has that served you? Very well, probably. Sometimes if I can like confidently be pretty sure about the answer, I'll just make it up and say it like it's a fact to like my wife or somebody. And she'll look at me and she'll be like, 
did you just make that up and say it with confidence or you really know that? And I'll be like, mm, does it really matter? Well, you know, you know, 82% of all data is made up on the spot, right? Are you sure? You sure it's not like 72%, 74% or 32%? And if you give me five minutes, you can go, you can go to Wikipedia and it will be there. I know, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I went to college at Southeastern. Oh, that was fun. Sorry there. Terrible student. Absolutely terrible. Like two points. Wow. Again, in hindsight, partially maybe I wasn't challenged, partially because I don't, I don't really like normal. And if like- By normal, you mean structure? Well, I mean, like if I say, what's the point of this and you can't prove it to me, I don't believe that there's a point in it. And so like, I don't, and like, but the burden, like it's a small burden of Mm -hmm. of proof to motivate me to do something, but like, it's gotta be there. Mm -hmm. And so- so I had like a 2.2 cause I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do any of my homework. I would just make A's on the tests and that would be enough to like carry me with like a, you know, a C average. And so I remember one time in high school, we were, you know, they're handing out some math tests uh, for some math competition or something. And I, I was unable to participate because of my grade. And I argued with the teacher it ended up scoring very well, still didn't get to participate because I didn't meet any of the requirements. Mm-hmm. But it was just that thing that it was like, well, hold on. I don't want you to like, it's not because I can't. It's because like, I think that there's a better use of that time. And so I didn't really get a scholarship to college, which was like, it didn't make my parents too happy because uh, I scored very well on like my ACT and all, all right. that stuff. Yeah. And fast forward, I went to college for like a year at Southeastern, had no clue what I wanted to do because it was still had no clue. and so. Um, I dropped out and worked offshore for two years. So I want to, I want to take a one step back. So if you think about growing up, you had your parents influencing you. Were there any other people, mentors, coaches, maybe other business people that were in your life that were influential to where you are today? Maybe not in the most traditional aspects. I would expect nothing less from you at this point. So I don't, I don't know how much into that one. There was a whole lot of the other side of doing right that, yeah. that, that I experienced. Mm-hmm. And, but my biggest takeaway from that is if you fast forward that probably 15 years ago, I guess, I'd gotten really involved with uh, Human Place Church. Yeah. And more interestingly, in the Dream Center downtown in like mm-hmm. the 70805. And what I found there is like, in those situations, I was way more comfortable to walk up in the middle of something and really just talk. Because when you understand like the people on the other side are just people and any of us could be in that situation, then it makes that gap a whole lot easier to bridge. And then, and then it really does also open your eyes to the fact that it doesn't really matter where you start. Like, again, that like, what else are you going to do, but put one foot in front of the other. And so once you do that, like, you know, it gives you a whole nother perspective on life. What got you to Healing Place? Uh, like just the most random situation where I was doing young, stupid things and st- and then ended up just passing by on like a Tuesday. And, I, and, and like I grew up in Louisiana, like Wednesdays and Sundays are church. So odd enough that it was stopped by on Tuesday and somebody was coming down the stairs uh, and they're like, can I help you? And I was like, I was just checking it out. And they were, they told me, they were like, well, 
it's Tuesday. And they said, but like in three hours, they have our college in 20 ministry right down the road. At that time, it was called like the hub or something. And so I was like, well, okay. I think it was 21 or 22 at the time. And I was like, well, kind of sounds okay. And so I went there three hours later, checked it out. And then I like went there for 15 years, basically. <laughs> and I ended up in the first couple of weeks uh, seeing a whole lot of, not a couple people that I had known um, and it was kind of like one of those weird situations where I was like, what are you doing here? And we ended up just kind of hanging out a lot there. And that turned into a lot of things. I mean, that turned into where I met my wife. And really? So, yeah. Yeah. I met her through through there. And so we've been married 10 years now. Yeah. And so uh, lucked out hardcore on that one. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So I want to think about this. Let's talk about your own leadership now. What's your leadership style? How would you describe it? So you're catching me in a really interesting time because historically I have been way more hardcore focused on the work itself, mm-hmm. the, the craft, the technical piece that had, that was what kind of fascinated me and I was able to dive into. And there were definitely leadership aspects, but they were way more technical capability focused. And in my current situation, we're, we're moving fast, we're scaling a lot of things, and I'm having to let go of the reins mm. of a lot of these things. And that's the part that I'm really figuring out and exploring right now is kind of, there's, there's a lot of dynamics there. There's what you're trying to achieve, who you have with you to achieve it, how each of those people communicate and, you know, and ultimately when I kind of boil it down to the, to the biggest thing in my head currently right now, my biggest thing is there's been a picture in my head on the technical side that's been there for the past four or five years. And now I've got these people and I need to get confident and be confident that they see the picture that I am trying to communicate and that they understand kind of how that picture became. And I think that's kind of the next milestone because once I think they see that picture, they're there because I have confidence in who they are. And so that that's already a piece. And once I know everyone sees that picture, it's way easier to let go of those reins and say, go evolve those things. And, and, and that becomes the next piece of like, well, how do they know what to evolve them into? And then it's like, well, that's the larger question of like, what are you putting out there like holistically of where we're aiming so that people can kind of see where you're going and their individual piece in that, hopefully, and that there's a path for them to have a hand in that. So you're really transitioning, it sounds like, from like leading in the front, like the player coach, right? Hands are technically you're in it and now you're trying to move towards the back. Yeah, that's cool. So the question is really around leadership style, right? And so it sounds like... Up to this point, you've been kind of that. Yeah, so to this point, it, it sounds like you've been that player coach, leading from the front, having your hands in the tech. And it sounds like you're evolving to more of, hey, how do I lead from behind, delegate these things, build the team that can kind of carry the mission forward? How do I cast that vision? So how's that working for you? Or what are your struggles around that? And the reason why I ask this, Justin, is I think there's a lot of people that can relate to exactly what you're saying. And I'm I know right now if I'm listening, I'm going, okay, well, tell me more. How, how, how are you seeing success or failure around that specifically? 
there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. The first, Give us some major takeaways. The, the, the first piece is how am I even testing some of this? Mm-hmm. And my current strategy is to kind of go dark in things that my key people are, you know, involved in and like let them step into that and say, hey, you know, say, hey, go do this thing. Because that that ultimately the first step. So you're in, pressure testing. Well, the, I'm, I'm evaluating. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a baseline or a, a reading, a measurement of mm-hmm. what's happening. And it's like, and, and it's, it's certainly not to equate uh, people to, to like my kids, but it's the same way with my kids. Like I can say whatever I want to them, but until I step back and kind of watch the way they step in and act, you know, that that's really how I kind of understand what's really getting through. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the same factor with my team. And, and even then I've kind of structured, I've structured my team. I've got basically two right-hand people mm-hmm. who are, very aware of all the failures of management style that I have. Mm-hmm. And then I put, and then very good at those and I have everyone under them. And so then I'm only really just letting them two down, <laughs> but like, but, uh, and I'll give you an example there. Like we, we kind of implemented some new review policies and raise policies, et cetera. And we're running through all that stuff and we get all that stuff and get it all signed off. And I go, I still haven't done y'all's have I? <laughs> and they were like, no, no, you haven't. And I was like, oh, okay, well, at least it's just y'all and y'all know me. Yeah. And so, um, and, and so that, that, that's one piece is I'm kind of trying to put the right people in there. I'm trying to kind of, we all have to wear many hats, but sometimes you got to like, well, you got to take some of them off. And so, you know, I'm trying to look at it from that perspective as well, because it's really easy just to assume like you can keep adding more. And to some degree, sure, you can, but it, it, you know, it, it's probably more so what are the three to five things I want this person really, really good at and Mm -hmm. focused on. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that means kind of a reevaluation of that, you know, just sitting down with a piece of paper and being like writing just those things, like what are these things that I have? And then tell us from that person, write the seven things you're actually doing right now in a bullet point list with five words each, you know, mm-hmm. you want it to be as simple as possible to really see the outline of what's there. And then, then hopefully it becomes an easy equation, match your bullet points to theirs and be like, these do or don't match. Let's mm-hmm. solve for X. Mm-hmm. An- another piece that I'm really trying, I mean, once you have the status of where things are, you know, you also have to look at how well I'm communicating expectations and desires as well. I have a, a friend, mentor, Don Monastery. He's a CEO of a company, uh, GI around here. And he, he's, he's also an author of a book. And he's got this one phrase that stuck out to me where he's speaking to someone and consulting with them and asking about their direct reports. And he says, well, um, well, let me see the reports. And the guy's like, what do you mean the reports? He's like, they're your direct reports. What reports are they giving you? And like, we well, don't give me any reports. He's like, well, I guess they're not really your direct reports. And so, you know, that was like, that kind of stirred a thought with me. I was like, well, what am I asking of my people from that perspective? Mm-hmm. And because I think there is like that in, in our business, we track what we need to do in like a project management system. Right. Right. And I think that that's the easy answer is to just go look at the project management system and you'll see what's going on. 
And it's like, well, that's not really what I want from my people. I can go look in the project management system and, and know what's going on. What I want from them is for them to come and say, I'm these are the things that you either need to be concerned with or that are moving the needle. Because even them getting that message right is kind of the way you evaluate if they understand that piece or not. Mm. Because I was having this conversation this morning. So I'm, 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 I'm right there. I'm tracking. With you. Yeah. And, and, and the second piece is I have no clue what the role of a CTO is. I didn't go to business school. I don't have a four-year college degree. I don't know any of that. And so I'm just kind of taking a best guess at all of this and uh, reevaluating. So I'm kind of making the rest, like making it up as I go. All right. I have to ask this question because I know too much. Okay. How is AI affecting your leadership style today? And how big of a box did we just open? So, <laughs> so for me, AI wasn't even a thought of my brain prior to, say, April last year. Mm -hmm. What directly related to my leadership style, what it did most valuably for me was it breaks down communication barriers mm -hmm. because we all have, you know, if you get a group of leaders together, entrepreneurs, et cetera, chances are if you boil down what they're doing and what they're saying at a, at a, to a core component, there's going to be a ton of similarity. They're all going to express it in vastly different ways based off of their business, their mentality, their personality, the stage of life they're in, et cetera. And so that's the same way with just any people, you know, even me communicating what the, the picture is the picture, but the way I describe the picture and the way somebody else describes the picture might be different. And so like, it's really about mapping A to B. And so that's been the most beneficial piece for me is I can say these things in probably the broken way that I'm able to communicate them and like, and say, and put that in the traditional Harvard business school terminology. Cause I bet they have concepts around this and it'll be like, actually they do. It's these five. And I'd be like, that sounds exactly like what I'm trying to solve there. And so it helps you tease away these underlying things mm. that, from the benefits for me. Um, the other benefits is the thing that hooked me in the AI is all of a sudden, I, I think for probably anybody that's motivated, but most certainly for me, the barrier to learning anything that I actually want to learn about is being driven so far down and that excites me so much for my kids as well because i listened to this podcast a long time ago and do you remember the name no clue i remember i remember that i was pulling into healing place church as this particular part was playing on <laughs> on the radio but i have no clue what podcast it was or any of that but it was a guy and he was talking about teaching his young daughter calculus and he was asked the question, like, well, he was like, man, that's amazing. Like, why do you, and that seems very hard. Like, why do you think that she's able to do that? And his answer was because she doesn't realize it's supposed to be hard. Ah. And, and he said all too often, like that piece right there, that, that, oh, I, I can't learn it. It's supposed to be hard is one of the massive barriers to kind of cross. And so I think we probably carry that into adulthood. Like, you know, you know, calc is supposed to be hard. Physics is supposed to be hard. And so brains are lazy. They really are. And uh, now you can use that to your benefit 
because like you can tell your brain what to do and it will lazily like do that. But that's where it really kind of stuck out with me is like, no, everything that's ever been done was done by someone. And so that's where the AI piece really jumps in is because the ability to break down communication barriers takes away it being hard because you can say why ever you think it's hard in whatever manner you can best describe that in. And you have a more than zero chance of it helping you mm-hmm. versus not saying it. You have an exactly zero chance of, of, of anything helping you. And so you're already infinitely more equipped to get past that barrier. And uh, the more these things improve, the better it's going to be in really understanding the underlying component of what's being asked there. Mm-hmm. And that's really what hooked me was in like in April, it was interactions with me and my uh, four and six year old daughter that like, that's when uh, I probably became obsessed with AI. All right. We're going to get to AI in a minute. Yeah. Cause I know you've got tons to share there, but I want to go take a step back. So you have an interesting pathway to entrepreneurship. Tell us a little bit about what have been some of the muddiest moments of your career, your journey, your life that have created the most clarity for you, the most vision. I think to really help set the stage here, it probably helps to say, if I look at my career, I kind of see it in these three to five year cycles. And if I break those three to five year cycles down even more, I tend to see that they're really three components themselves. There's basically getting into something, really executing and really, really refining that thing. And then the third part is really a crossover. It's the end of that phase and the beginning of the next one, all wrapped in one. Because once you're sitting there and you're really operating, you you hit this point where you start to see the next level of things that you can be doing. And you begin to like understand, well, if I can do this thing relatively well, then others can do this thing relatively well. And so if you can kind of operationally operationalize that, then you start to be like, what's that next thing that maybe I can get into? And so that part's really, you're exploring that next phase while you're winding down that previous phase. And that's typically where the most interesting muddy moments are because like, you don't know what the next phase is. And so that's a really exploratory moment in itself. And then once you kind of find that thing that you want to kind of lock in on for that next phase, well, that's kind of like a, a jump, you know, like you're, you're like, yeah. okay, I'm about to do this thing. And that could mean you, you're changing careers. That can mean you're changing roles. That means you're go, you know, you're changing a lot of things, but it, those are kind of those moments for me. And so and so what happens to you in those moments? Like, like what are the consequences of those moments for you? So because those moments cost us something. Yeah, yeah. What do they cost you? I think I got some of them right. I don't, I mean, so not the output. So, so here we not go. Not the not not the clarity, but like in the moment. Because that's I, I oh, know oh, oh, they, you they know, cost like, you uncertainty, they cost you stress, they cost you like all of the like this questioning of whether or not you are or aren't doing the right thing because when you're so when how you're, do you navigate that for Cause, me because i think people right now listening are going i get it it's the building right it's the creating it's very messy it's very muddy 
but you're a creative guy that keeps having success. So what is it that's that's pulling you through that money moment? What's the thing that's like so there's two your sides North Star of it. there? There's two sides of it. One is I want to see what's possible. Mm. Is failure an option? Failure's a piece of the puzzle. Like fail mm-hmm. failures like time will move forward mm-hmm. and you will have to put one foot in front of the other no matter what. And so like failure becomes obsolete as a concept in that statement. Like I could fail everything right now and then tomorrow I have one option. And so it's it's like it's not even part of that equation. What you have to do tomorrow is be okay with yourself. And so that is really and and this this is all very very emergent thoughts uh, in my life right now. Um, probably nowhere near during this process. But when I kind of look at it, I always have the urge to kind of see like, can I? You know, even going back to working with my dad. So like working with my dad, working in these beautiful homes in the country club, Bocage and all that. And like, we'd see all this amazing stuff. And like, it was always like, well, man, is that possible? Is that a thing? Like, Mm. can that be done? And so I think that played big into like, what if? And then the next part's like, well, why not? And then like, I kind of love math. And the best part about that is like, when I say, why not? If you can't prove it to me, then I don't have to believe you. And so like, so if I say, why can't I? And you don't have, a, you can't prove me why I can. I'm like, cool, I don't have to believe you. I'm just going to keep going and doing that thing. And if you give me some actual proof of why I can't do X, it's like, cool, I'm swapping to Y. Tell me why I can't do Y. Until mm-hmm. you can't, I don't have to believe you at all. And so. And where does that come from for you, you think? Because you've said that multiple times. So where does that come from for you? Which part? Just the, if you can't tell me, if you can't prove to me, then I don't have to believe. Where does that come from for you? Because that's a really interesting statement. So the other component that I was speaking of, the the there's the side that I said pulled me to figuring out what if. The I don't believe you, for me, there's a very important premise it's based on. And it's based on having a very sharp core algorithm of values because the thing that's pulling me is the, I want to do what I want to do. And the, how do I not feel bad about wanting to do what I want to do is being able to apply it to like a razor sharp set of core values that if all those are still green check boxes, then like I can do that. There's nothing wrong with it. I want to do it. Now it's an, now the why not's an obstacle and I don't have to believe you because like you can't prove it to me and I don't violate my core algorithm. And so like, I don't have to believe you yeah. <laughs> like in, until you prove to me that I can't. Yeah. And so that's really just, it's a statement of you being true to yourself. And I think that like that's another big piece in like the AI stuff is I've kind of used it in some really interesting ways. And it really can even tease out a lot of things about yourself. Um, really just at enough in, in getting an external yet private perspective of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I don't have an answer better than that one. No, I think that's fine. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a theme. It sounds like with you and it's, and I I love it because it's kind of that. You ever watch the Cirque du Soleil people or uh, you've seen like the pictures or videos? Yeah, I've, I've actually seen them. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild, isn't it? It is wild. You ever like, so if you, and like, so you look at. um, I even think the Blue Man group. I'm like, how do they do that? You look at a high school football player, right? Yeah. And you look at a college football player and like no comparison. 
then you yeah. set a college football player next to a pro player and you say yeah. no comparison. Right. Then you set a pro player next to an average Joe and you see a gap that's a mile wide. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that gap exists answers like the what if. Yeah. And then the other side of the equation is just the why not. And if you can't articulate it, and there's so many other facets it's like that, that demonstrate the gap of possibility. And, yeah. and so, and like their, ex, their mere existence is enough to prove that it's possible. Mm-hmm. And so it only leaves the other half of the equation. Well, you said something earlier that I think really I resonate with. It's like somebody has already done this. It's completely possible, right? Like if it's something that's already been done, somebody else did it. So why, why can't I, why can't mm-hmm. somebody else go and do that? I want to ask you this. If you were looking back, you know, 15, 20, however many years, what's the advice you give yourself going back? What's the thing you wish you knew then? Me talking to me, take as many massive risks pre-25 years old as you can, as long as you don't like violate like any kind of real issue to yourself, like just do it. Like, man, the things I use. Like, what would you have done? Give an example to yourself. Hey, go do this thing. Go so, work there. Uh, go. So yeah. I had an employee who was, he lived here and he was going to move to Kentucky and for whatever reason. And then he was like, I want, I want to do this, but I also don't want to like not leave. You know, I don't want to leave here. And what I really, and like, I knew he was like 22 years old. And I was like, A, one of my right hand guys, like his, his boss lives in Dallas and he's an, an amazing remote manager. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey, your manager's already remote. So like, there's no difference there at all. And I was like, and when your lease is up in a year, you'll be a whopping 23 years old. And like, and if you hate it, you'll know that. And like, and like action produces information. And so like, mm-hmm. that's why I would say go do as much as you can because like information compounds. Mm-hmm. And so what you're really doing there is you're gaining hopefully lots of insight and different perspectives on just, just on life yourself, et cetera. And the compounding effect of that knowledge from an early age. Uh, I mean, it's what draw. It's, it's what makes me so interested about education with my own girls. Mm-hmm. Is um, all right. This is gonna this is gonna be very Baton Rouge, and this this will be a, a little hat tip back to those uh, interesting years in my life. Mm-hmm. But uh, so there's some Baton Rouge, you know, artists, Boosie and Webby, mm-hmm. and uh, we- Webby has a song called Just Like Me about his son. Uh, these are all very, very, uh, probably explicit. But he has a phrase, I mean, a, a verse in that song where he, he's talking to his son. He said, I'm going to put you on game while you're still young. They got all old folks out here still dumb. And again, if you like, it's all the same core message. Like that message in and of itself is like, hey, I'm going to show you some things about the world that are just going to empower the way you get to move through it mm-hmm. and if i can do that at a young age like how powerful is that like even even jumping back to like that it's all very similar mm-hmm. and so yeah all right so i want to i want to move forward on some stuff so talk to us a little bit more now we talked about ai and leadership talk to us a little bit about your newfound passion in ai as it as the possibilities not just in leadership but what are some of those possibilities what are you seeing where is that kind of leading your head and your heart right now so i'll start with a simple overview of like so when you say ai most people's brain 
is going to immediately say chat GPT. Would you agree? Absolutely. Okay. Because it's what they know. Well, what chat GPT is really doing is it's exposing people to the power of machine learning under the buzzword name AI. That's what's really happening. And so chat GPT, the GPT is a particular flavor of machine learning, and that's less relevant to a lot of people. But what's what's really underneath it is the fact that you can apply large amounts of data and you can get very predictable reasoning out of the other side. And so, you know, if you look at like companies who have swaths of data that's very specific to what they do, I mean, everything is data. Every email is the tone of communication from the company's perspective. And so you have, if you think about it from that perspective, you have an amazing amount of data. And so that's what I think is really happening. It's showing people the power of ML through this word AI, and it's breaking down the communication barrier between people and computers. And, and like, if you think about even computers, that barrier has evolved over time. It went from punch cards where you had physical cards to DOS green screen interfaces to the internet to mobile devices and virtual augmented reality. But all of those things are just communication mechanisms between humans and computers. And it's breaking that, it's just tearing that barrier down because you don't have to like speak in hardcore code anymore. And I'll point this back to kind of my, you know, my moment or or, or a couple of moments that kind of hit it off for me was I was driving home with my girls and uh, after school. And I was like, Riley, what would you do today? And she was like, nothing. And I was like, all right. And I kind of had my phone and ChatGPT was starting to get popular. And I was like, and she, she, well, let me, let me rewind that back. She said, actually, we read this book called Peter's chair. And then that was the end of it. And so I was like, give me a couple things to talk to my six-year-old about this Peter's chair book. And, you know, it popped a couple things and I looked back and I said, Hey, uh, Peter gets sad in that book. And she's like, yeah. I was like, why'd Peter get sad? She was like, he was gonna have a little brother. And I was like, well, why why was he gonna get sad about that? She's like, well, he thought he was gonna have to give his toys away. And I kind of looked at my phone. I was like, did Peter get happy again? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, well, why? And she was like, well, we got to paint the cha- the toys with his dad and enjoy that. And I was like, and in that moment, I was like, man, we just went from like, what did you do today? And the answer was nothing to like a conversation about the way your life changes, how you have one perception of it being negative. But once you realize what's happening, it's opening up other things that are actually positive. And like all of that transpired because I was like, boom. And then fast forward to that Saturday. By the way, every parent needs to hear that because you know how many of us get nothing? Oh, I, I, <laughs> every I, day. I got it right there in that moment. Nothing happened all day. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. It's like, and, wow. And all she said, <laughs> all she said was we read Peter's chair. Yeah. And that was it. That was all the information that it took right then and there. And we, tur- and that was, a, and that was amazing. And so she was learning to read. And so that Saturday I was like, all right, let's see what's going on with this thing. So I kind of pulled it out and I, I have, I have video of all this stuff. Cause I was like, this is gonna be cool. And, uh, and it, it's, it's terrible video from the side. Cause I didn't want her to like, 
see it and like yeah, throw. I, I wanted yeah. to capture the yeah, reality. Yeah, you were sneaking the video. Yeah, I wanted. Yeah. I wanted that. Uh, I wanted to see her eyes when she was like, "Oh." And I've seen the video. It's pretty amazing. And and so she's sitting there, and I and I said, and I bring up the Peter's chair thing, and I said, "Hey, give me three sentences about this, and we're going to help her read." And so it put three sentences out there, and I immediately just told it. I was like, "Words like jealousy are too hard. Change it." And it like rewrote the sentences a little bit easier. And she was reading them and then she'd hit something and I had an idea. And I just, I was like, I just typed in there right there. I said, rewrite this, but put the phonetic pronunciation next to the hard words. And it did it and it picked two words. And I told Riley, I was like, Hey, this is how it sounds. And that, you know, and it's, this is uh, the way it's spelled. And on the very next one, it did one of the same words that had pretty, that had previously had the, Mm-hmm. pronunciation and it and I looked at her and said oh that's that hard word she looked at me and she was like they didn't put the thing next to it and I was like you didn't know this existed a Five minute ago. ago yeah yeah and now you're upset because you didn't have this tool to help you learn that the tool wasn't even there two minutes ago until I just told the thing be there tool and once that happened like that was just I was I was kind of hooked at that moment and I've been kind of obsessively using it in my own life and I, I haven't been doing too much with it. Uh, there's a couple places we're dabbling with it uh, in, yeah. in the businesses, but um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's going anywhere at all. And oh, it's just, going somewhere. Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, and, and so like the best thing that I'm, I've been really saying is like the best thing people can do is just get comfortable with it. And like, it's like anything, like learn how to use it for good is probably the best way to overcome it being used for bad. Yeah. And so it's one of those, it's an A or B thing. Like if you can boil a lot of things down to like simple questions. So I want to ask you this, what impact are you looking to make on your community? You're a young guy. You got many years in front of you, but what does that impact look like? I want people to believe what's like, I want to open people's eyes up to their own possibilities. Mm. Like that was a thing that I don't think I, I struggled a lot with self-confidence growing up and it's a lie. (laughs) There's one option, do it. (laughs) And if you can be happy doing it, then uh, even if you're delusional at the end, did it really matter if you lived a good life and you were delusionally happy? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that's the biggest piece is. And how do you do that? (sighs) Or how do you believe you start to do that? So first and foremost, it's like beginning in your innermost circles, Mm. you know, for it's like my wife, my kids. It's like, no, y'all can do that. If you don't want to do that, cool story. You don't have to do it. But like if you say you it's it's the same thing, it's the same thing to why not. If if they say, oh, I can't do that, I can I'll say prove it to me. Otherwise, I don't believe you. And if you know, if if, they're not going to have the ability to prove it, because the only way to prove it is to continuously try to do it because there isn't like a like or, or quit. How much of that is an option of quitting for you? Well, well again, you don't wait. What do you mean? For, for me or for I'm just my saying, expectations? You're saying your options are keep going or quit. For, for me, I don't think it's a thing in my mind, but like right. for, for, for them. And that's why I kind of lay it out from like, if you don't want to do that thing, yeah. that's a whole different story. If you don't want to play, because my youngest, we tried basketball, yeah. hated it. And, and, and she, you know, and I was like, if you don't want to do basketball, 
or maybe it was my oldest. Uh, I was like, you don't have to. Uh, now, if you want to do gymnastics, that's amazing. Let's not say you, you know, let, there aren't any tricks you can't do. Mm-hmm. You can't do them right now. Yeah. And I think that continues to go to each different level, like to my employees, my team, my people. It's like, you know, the piece there is not confusing what you what you want someone to do and what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's really where you got to spend time finding out if you can find, and if you can, and that's where the real secret comes in. If you can find a way to align those two things, like I got my girls into Legos and they love building things. And I'm like, ha you're learning engineering. That's it. And so, you know, and it's the same way kind of at work. If you, you know, if you find this person really wants to do these kind of things and you can find a way to really align that with kind of like the business, then like, then you just got to, you, then you start to, no, you, you convince them that they can do that audacious thing mm-hmm. and you, you set them free on that. Yeah. No, I love it. I mean, it's like right people, right seats, right? Like what are your unique abilities? How does that play into our mission and our vision, our strategy, and then and get them executing at a high mm-hmm. level, right? At the right time. Yeah, at the right time, for sure. Well, I want to ask you this. Okay, so I know you're, you've got a big heart. So how, and I, and I understand kind of impact, but how are you giving back right now? Where, where are some of the places that, that you're spending your, your, your precious resources for the good of the community? today so there's a couple different spots like i said first first and foremost i really do believe the biggest impact i can make is my household Mm -hmm. and so like that is absolutely my core focus and then outwardly kind of my team around me as a reflection and so and then in in a lot of our other stuff like in in elevator three and in paystar we have been building a very good relationship with some of the universities around here because that's ultimately going to be our workforce. And so we have a pretty long-standing relationship with Southeastern that has a awesome. very good uh, program. Most of our employees came out of there. We, we get a couple interns uh, typically most semesters between the companies. And what are y'all doing at Southeastern? Are y'all like donating time and going in and A little seminars? bit of both. Yeah. Uh, we have some people that go to some of the project classes and mm-hmm. they act as effectively the client mm-hmm. uh, from that behalf. And, you know, selfishly, we get a preview of the people coming out of there. And so that works very well on kind of like knowing what to expect out of that. We are also in, uh, in some of the advisory boards and some, and some of that to kind of help advise on some of the curriculum of like, this is actually what we're looking for. And like, wow. let's actually get those things in there. Yeah, Absolutely. And then there's just a, you know, there's a couple charity events and stuff like that we go to. We, we, we do a couple uh, galas a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, Best Dress Ball is one for the, I think, American Cancer yeah, American Society. Cancer Society. Yeah. Society. And so, you know, there's, there's some, you know, those are half charity, half fun, good time. We find, yeah. find lots of uh, opportunities like that. And that's probably the, the bulk of it. Yeah. Awesome. So talk to us about where do you go from here? You've had some exciting kind of adventures so far. So what's next for Justin? Like the current big piece right now is refining what that next role is. The past four or five years were hardcore 
on the platform that we've been building and the people that we've been pulling in to help us do it. In that respect, we're hitting some milestones right now that are changing my role out of necessity. And in that, that's kind of exposing this whole new mode of operating to me in general. Mm -hmm. And so, and so from that perspective, it's really understanding, you know, okay, I have to get out of the room on some of these things. Ultimately, I think that's been the, the biggest driver is, is being able to find that thing that you can go into, get a whole bunch of unrealized value, and then kind of pull it back in. And traditionally, that was through the technical side of things. Mm-hmm. But there's this new area where, where I'm kind of like needing to get out of the technical side of things to go find this other unrealized value. And you're exploring that in real time with me. <laughs> and so, but that's what the do you best. Think that, what do you think that unreal is? Unrealized value is? So it's a lot of things. It could be opportunities that were unrealized mm-hmm. that align with the people that we have. It could be the opportunities we currently have needing a lot more on how to realize how to really scale those in an mm-hmm. effective manner. Mm-hmm. And so, or it could be the realization that some of these shifts in technology with like the AI space and all that are really opening up a whole new floodgate of completely unrealized value. Uh, you know, it's the uh, known knowns, known unknowns, mm-hmm. and then unknown unknowns. And, right. and so to some degree, it's like exploring this new unknown unknown to try to turn some of them into known known aspects of things and so um but those are the three broad areas that i would i would say you know and a lot of the things that i have going on right now you know they allow me to get a glance at all three of those those pieces you know we certainly have a lot of interesting additional vertical scaling opportunities we have a lot of additional kind of like depth opportunities and then like i said this ai space is is a has got me obsessed and so that's just gonna be how that plays out. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming to sit down today. Uh, this has been awesome. I love talking to you. I, lo- I like watching your mind wander. It's, uh, it's, it's fun and it's, in, it's inspiring. So yeah. thanks for showing up today and being awesome. Ah, thank you for inviting me. This is fun. I'm loving doing this. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.